Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And I did say a few episodes ago that the Wilderness Years was not quite over. And that's right, because we're back with it. We got at least two or three or more episodes to finish up. There were a few things I didn't realize if when I first planned this that were still going to be part of this. And since I'm bringing it back, I might as well bring back one of my past co-hosts from it. So welcome back, Ren. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here to talk with talking with you about some Silver Surfer issues. Absolutely. Yeah, the Silver Surfer is my sister asks because I'm into comics. My sister asks me a lot if I'm into comic, what my favorite superhero is. And she and I, I had to think about it for a while, but I always think the Silver Surfer. I, I really like him. I think there hasn't been a bad run on him. Including the one we're about to see, but that's for later. Yep, and well, the Silver Surfer is pretty awesome, and I, I do like the cosmic stuff. So, and that's generally where he he resides. You don't see any street level stories with him. He's yeah, not taking on the Kingpin or Two Face. Not really, no. And we are actually going to do something a little different than we've done before, because instead of just doing one or two or even three issues this episode, we are going to be doing ten. That's a first for us on the show, so let's see how we do. But yeah, we're going to be covering Silver Surfer, the 87 series by Englehart and Rogers, issues 1 through 10. Oh, well, actually, I should say Englehart, Rogers, and a little bit of Stanley. Oh, yeah, yeah, tiny little bit. Uh, I think you know you know what I'm talking about then, right? Yeah, yeah. Issue four. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Technically, he should have credit for that issue. <laughs> He should have a partial credit. But we'll get to that, people, when we get to that. So hold on. I'm going to drop in a brief synopsis here, or as brief as I can for 10 issues, and then we're going to be starting with Silver Surfer 1. Silver Surfer issues 1 to 5. Writer, Steve Englehart. Pencils and colors, Marshall Rogers. Inker, Joe Rubenstein. Letters, John Workman. Cover art, Marshall Rogers, Joe Rubenstein, and Alex J. Editor, Michael Higgins with Mike Rockowitz. These issues are cover dated July to November 1987 and were on sale early April to early August 1987. With cover prices of $1.25 for issue 1 and $0.75 each for issues 2 to 5. You can find these issues reprinted either in parts or whole in Marvel Universe Comic number 18, a German reprint, Marvel Comics Sunderhoft, number 34, 36, and 37, also a German reprint. Grandes Heroes Marvel, number 33, a Brazilian reprint. Nova, issues 119 to 124, a 1987 to 1988 French reprint. Silver Surfer, number 1 to 5, a 1989 Italian reprint. Origin of Galactus, number 1, a 1996 reprint. Essential Silver Surfer, volume 2, from 2007. Silver Surfer Epic Collection Volume 3 from 2015, and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital comic sites. Issue 1, Free. The Silver Surfer is attacked by the Champion, who is convinced that the Surfer has the ability to meddle in his cosmic plans. The Surfer is surprised that the Champion believes he could escape Earth, but the Elder disappears before revealing any more information. The Fantastic Four brainstorm with the Silver Surfer on other ways to try and break through Galactus's barrier, and the Thing suggests not using his, surf his surfboard to leave the planet, and the idea turns out to be successful. The Surfer heads directly to Galactus to ask him to remove the limit on his powers, and he agrees to do this if the Surfer saves Nova from the Skrulls. 
He accomplishes this task without delay, and Galactus grants him his freedom. Issue 2, Shalabao. The Silver Surfer returns to Zen La to a happy Shalabao that is now the planet's empress. As she meets with the Skrull Emissary, the Surfer decides to get reacquainted with his home planet. While the Skrulls try to convince Shalabao to sign a pact with them, two of their agents try to assassinate the Silver Surfer. The Surfer easily defeats them and brings them to Shalabao. A furious Shalabao and Silver Surfer to finally rebuff the Skrulls and send them on their way. Realizing that Shalabao's new responsibilities to Zen La take up all of her time and focus, the Surfer leaves her and the planet for his new home, Infinite Space. Issue 3, Heaven. The Silver Surfer tracks down the Collector to determine his involvement in the Elder's schemes. He denies any involvement, and the Surfer leaves him with a warning. Meanwhile, a Kree and a Skrull spaceship engage each other in battle. The Kree disable a Skrull ship, but are surprised to find that the Skrulls killed themselves rather than get captured. As the Surfer continues to search for clues regarding the Elder's plans, he comes into confrontation with the Elder known as the Runner. The Runner overpowers him and sends the Surfer crashing into a nearby planet. Issue 4, Mantis. Mantis helps the Silver Surfer recover from his wounds and reveals to him that she is the one that has been guiding him to investigate the Elder's plans from the beginning. Meanwhile, the Kree's Supreme Intelligence discovers that the Skrulls have lost their shape-changing powers and the Skrulls are being visited by a Celestial. Mantis leads the Silver Surfer to the Elder's hideout where they overhear their plans to kill Galactus. However, before they can continue, Ego alerts the Elders to the presence of the Silver Surfer and Mantis. The Elders attack, but the Surfer and Mantis are able to escape. Issue 5, Obliteration. The Elder, known as the Obliterator, tracks down the Silver Surfer and Mantis in order to kill them before they can try and stop the, the Elder's plans. They escape him, but eventually have to confront him again when he tracks them down a second time. The Obliterator vaporizes Mantis, but his attack is thwarted when the Surfer destroys all his weapons. Mantis returns in a new plant body, and the Obliterator agrees to reveal the Elder's plans to the heroes. Meanwhile, the Skrulls begin a second war with the Kree. Just when you thought it was safe to hear our podcast promo. JL made do 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 brave and bold do 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 comic books do 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 JL made JL mate do 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 brave and the bold do 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 comic books do 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 JL mate the annual podcast crossover event celebrating the Justice League is back and we're covering the 2007 Brave and the Bold series that started with Mark Wade and George freaking Perez and ended with J. Michael Straczynski. Throughout the month of May, participating podcasts will release special episodes on issues in the run. It all kicks off in the Overlook Dark Knight podcast. Follow the event on social media using the hashtag JLMay2023. Coming this May. JLMay do 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 brave and the bold do 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 comic books do 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 Mephisto. Hey, that it? Is that what you want? Things I do for this show. All right, and we are back. And like I said, we are starting with Silver Surfer number one. And we have this cover is uh, the Surfer flying with Galactus looking on, and he is holding Nova in his arms. 
And we got a little picture, little faces of the Fantastic Four underneath because they're guest starring. <laughs> it's a weird FF team, too. Yeah, yeah. It's like the very late, like, John Byrne incarnation, like when She-Hulk joined. Yep. But it's not the Human Torch in the team. It's the Thing. So you got the Thing and She-Hulk, which doesn't always happen. I mean, you'll have sometimes stories with, like, all five of them, but usually... Ben and Johnny, or Jen and Johnny, not Ben and Jen. Yeah, was there something happening with the torch at this time? He was on his honeymoon. Oh. oh to Alicia. Yeah. Uh, I say quotes, Alicia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quotes. <laughs> Which I didn't think about until you mentioned, until you brought, you know, you asked about it just now, but it's kind of funny considering how much scroll stuff is in here. Yeah. And... It turns out that the Alicia he married was a scroll. Yeah, yeah, that's a, kind of ironic. I didn't think about that. It's kind of a little bit of serendipity. This whole storyline going on about the scrolls and like, there's a lot of scrolls hiding in places, and like, we're just gonna discover some characters in this story are scrolls that you, you know, they don't tell you right away, and <laughs> we have that too. I was, I was thinking, like, in the issue, it mentions that, um, like the genetic bomb like like trapped the scrolls in whatever form they happen to be in so that's sort of equally ironic yep and it's kind of funny we also cover that also covered that issue oh uh let me see where was that it was the one with uh michael bailey i know that just a little comment. This is um, on the creative team. This is not the first time that Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers took on a uh, Jack Kirby character. They teamed up for uh, Mr. Miracle for for like, I think, a four issue run on Mr. Miracle. Oh, that's oh, you mean like in the 70s? In the 70s. Yeah, I believe in 1977. OK, you know, I haven't really read the post Kirby Miracle, just the Kirby issue. Uh, yeah, I wasn't the Mr. Miracle stuff wasn't very good. I um I, I liked uh, Marshall Rogers artwork. That that was really good. Otherwise, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't terribly fond of that run. Oh, and we'll get back to them in a second, but I need to correct myself. So it was episode one sixty nine that I did Avengers Annual, but it actually wasn't Michael Bailey. I forgot. He just did the actual Avengers issues. It was Grant from the Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast. Who did oh. Avengers Annual 14. And then you did Quasar number two as well. Yeah, okay, yeah, on, on that episode. But yeah, although they are more well-known for their run on Batman. Yeah, yeah. I, Marshall Rogers is yeah, probably best known for his artwork on Batman. And specifically, I remember reading the trade that came out of their issues, Strange Apparitions, and going, wow, so much of the animated series feels like it comes from this. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the animated series comes from that sort of period, like the 70s, 80s, Neil Adams, Marshall Rogers, like that that particular period. Yeah, because like there was a lot of Boss Thorne in there, which is also a big character in a lot of the earlier episodes of the animated series. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Inglehart created Boss Thorne. But they're back together in this run. And we start issue one basically with the whole story of how the surfer finally escapes Earth. Before we start, another notable credit, um, John Workman is the letterer. Mm-hmm. If the, 
you know, Walt Simonson's kind of regular letterer. Yep. So, you know, it has a lot of his signature, like, big sound effects. So it just wanted oh, to point out. Yeah, like the one right after the uh, splash, pa- the, the two-page spread. Yeah, yeah. Where you have that the thing where he hits the barrier. Yep. And I also do like, it's a little different in this first issue, when they do the uh, credits, they, they sign their names. It's not yeah, just printed was... up, it's signed. Yeah, that was interesting. I. I couldn't make out like Steve Englehart's signature at first. I had to figure it out on like the next issue. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's who it is. Okay. Yeah, signatures sometimes you don't know who it is at first. They are not always easy to read. Hell, I look up mine sometimes after I wrote it. I'm like, what the hell does that say? <laughs> yeah, I have to abbreviate my signatures a lot. So, first issue is basically the FF helping the surfer trying to escape Earth, and I love how simple it is. As they're they're going over, you know, of course they go over all of his history to recap for everybody. I didn't realize it, it kind of didn't occur to me that this was a pre-internet era, so they didn't have like they couldn't easily f- have, and they probably didn't have these issues on hand. The reader, so they probably needed to explain all this. Yeah, and plus I want to double check, but I'm pretty sure. Yep. Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief, and remember Shooter's whole thing at Marvel, every issue is somebody's first. And especially if it's a first issue. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so a lot of issues at this time, and also a lot of, also the comic stores were coming up, but still were not the place to get comics. A lot of people still got them off the newsstand, which meant sometimes you might not get the next issue, just because it might not be there. Or they might have ordered less this time, and it's sold out. And if so, well, too bad. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I was a little lucky when I started buying comics, which is around this time. The uh, there actually a comic store opened up around this around that same time within a bike ride of my house. Oh, so that's... I, yeah. So I really never had to worry about that whole newsstand thing, even though I started getting at a time when a lot of people still had to deal with that. Oh, okay. But. I do understand, you know, how that could work. You know, if they're not there, the guy at the supermarket or the drugstore really wasn't worried about whether or not you had another issue. Just as long <laughs> as it sold out whatever they had, that was good enough for them. I remember seeing, like, the old comic shops. They don't really look like that today. I think it was just long boxes or, like, the, what do they call it? Like, the, uh, like, like those stands where you keep the comics on. Oh, oh, yeah, like the spinner racks. The spinner racks, yeah. Yep, I remember still seeing those through like the early, into the early '90s. They would still be plotted in a lot of places. So if I got dragged somewhere, sometimes I'd be like, "All right, oh look, there's comics here. I'm just gonna read them." Oh yeah, they would have them in supermarkets. They'd be in bookstores even. And yeah, I never really experienced that. I think that that was like long gone by the time I came of age. So yeah, for the most part, I never really saw. I, it, with one or two rare exceptions, I really didn't see them pass like the mid '90s. By then, it was just you know, for the most part, comic stores were where you got your comics. Yeah. But back to this, I am entertained how they finally figure out how to get him out because they're t- reading the surfer are talking about all these different ways he's tried to fly out and different ways he's you know, different ski plans he had. And Ben was like, "You ever tried just going without your surfboard? Eh, no, that's too stupid. I'm sure you guys thought of something better." And there'd be a surfer and bit readers like, uh, wait a minute. 
And that's all it takes. They just fly him up in their spaceship. And they pass yeah. the barrier. And then he just changes his, leaves his board on Earth. He changes the energy. It fly, the energy flies up to him. He turns it back to the board. And he's like, oh, I'm free. Yeah, yeah. That I felt too simple. But, you know, it, it, it's just a setup like, you know, the rest of the story. So I have no yeah. real complaints. No, but it, it's an entertaining thing. Sometimes I just wonder if Englehart was just like, did no one ever try it this way? All right, we can say this works then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally that works. Yeah. But it was entertaining. But the other part of the story is, of course, the surfer is attacked by one of the elders of the universe, the champion. So, and, yes. Just when I saw this, I thought of, have you, have you ever seen Dexter's Lab? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so immediately I realized, oh, that... There, there, okay, if you haven't seen Dexter's Lab, there's a segment on it called Dial M for Monkey, and it basically parodies old Marvel comics. And there's a segment there with a character named Rassler, who's played by uh, Randy Savage. And that character is a parody of uh, this character, the champion. <laughs> now, speaking of champion, I've had a theory for a little while. Because... Huh. But there's a you know if they ever wanted to bring him make him live action, you know in the movies because it's possible. We already had two elders. Why not a third? But um, I was thinking, this person isn't really suited for the characters he's played before because he has done some Marvel characters before. But I think he could do really well as the champion, and I'm thinking of Mister Almost Mister Ghost Rider, Mister Almost Superman. Nicholas Cage. Oh, he that could actually I, work. Yeah, I mean, especially when he does that over-the-top Nicholas Cage thing. Yeah, that would be perfect for this guy. Yeah, it kind of has that like wrestler feel to it, like you know, just like that big, powerful. Yeah, I could, I could totally see it. Yeah, like some of the other stuff he's done, he loves it. I mean, why do you think he? You know, that's one of the reasons his last name is Cage. He named himself after Luke Cage. Yeah. So, I mean, he loves it, and I don't want to, so, like, I love that fact that at least somebody cares about it. But, you know, the roles he had maybe weren't best for him, but I think this would be a great role for him. This would be a great, it would utilize his uh, talents very well, especially, like, his, yeah, like you said, like, the Nick Cage voice. Yeah, when he goes over the top. Yeah. Yeah, like, this character would be perfect. And it kind of fits in with the way they bring in some of those, you know, the bigger name actors to play these, uh, the Elders. Yeah, yeah, like I think um, Benicio Del Toro and uh, Jeff, Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Exactly. He would fit in with that group. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see it. And we're starting here. The, this is starting the whole plot for the whole thing that's going to end, culminate issue 10, where the reason Champion is attacking him is because he does not want the Silver Surfer to interfere with the plans of the Elders. Because uh, well, he doesn't know their full plan. He just knows they, they're allying themselves with the Scrolls for now against the Kree. Because there's a new Kree Scroll War going on. And he's like, but wait, why do you care if I get involved? I can't leave. You think I could leave? And that sets it off. Because the Elders, as we're going to see, are pretty stupid and petty. Yeah. And they sow the seed. I mean, they're like Thanos here. They're sowing the seeds of their own destruction. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. We'll, we'll get to that, but I didn't understand their whole plan, like what 
it's because basically their child, I mean, we'll get to it every way when we get to it, but basically their plan kind of boiled down to them being so, I don't know, entitled that they don't like the idea that there's somebody like them. Oh. You know, he's like, they're like, they're so entitled to being the oldest that they don't like the idea that there's someone else older than them. That makes a lot of, okay, yeah, and that, okay. It's not like we can't see examples of that in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so that is how, let's see if there's anything else I forgot, but I believe that's how the issue ends. Yeah, the Silver Surfer is now free. Oh, and that's right, and he, but the first thing he does is he goes to Galactus, which is pretty cool. He's like, look, Galactus can kick me back anytime he wants. I have to make sure that we don't do this. Oh, that's right. That's the reason, because it's not just that they're doing that plan. They've kidnapped Galactus's Herald. Yeah, they kidnapped Nova. And it's in such a way that Galactus could destroy everything there, but he really can't rescue her. So he basically makes a deal. It's like, I'll rescue your Herald if you agree to free me from my prison permanently. Yeah, and kind of surprisingly, Galactus agrees, like... Yeah, he's a, typically not the type to kind of do that, but he, yeah, he, he agrees to it. Yeah, well, there are a few heralds that he actually liked. Like, supposedly he did like talking to and hanging, you know, like Airwalkers. One, I haven't really read stories of them, but in reading like the handbook things, apparently he liked Airwalker. Like, he enjoyed his company. And it seems like, and it's this, this is something that I think will continue on for a while. Galactus might have a thing for Nova. Yeah, he, the way like he at least like he says like, oh like you know she, it, he I'd be loath to lose her. She served me enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because even like the surfer sometimes is like he actually gives a damn. <laughs> like that's weird. And I'm like the Silver Surfer cartoon. He's kind of it, it seemed more indifferent towards Nova the same way he was towards the surfer, but. Oh, the 90 series? Yeah. The 90 series, yeah. It's been a long time. The only one I've watched any time in the last several years is the one with Warlock, which is weird. It was a weird... Yeah, that was a weird... Up, there's one with Beta Ray Bill, but Thor does not factor into it at all. Yeah, it's weird when they have those... Back then, those things when they had, like, rights for certain things, but not others, so they have to get rid... They can't reference them. And, yeah. Even as, like, still has to hammer and everything. Although, like, Pip the Troll is in a bunch of episodes, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. I will have to wa- I do have to watch more of them, maybe do an episode or two on those at some point. We only just did one episode on the uh, Warlock episode, but since Pip and Thanos does have a big play part in, you know, a lot of the series, I might have to cover that at some point. Yeah, it's, it's really quite good. Anyway, yeah, so he, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you. That's all right. But yeah, he rescues Nova and Galactus frees him and says, you know, all right, pardons it. Galactus will pardon you. And the surfer is free. And so we head off to issue two, where he does the now the first thing he can do now that he's a free man, he goes back home. Yeah, he goes back to uh, Zen Law. And things don't work out quite the way he would have hoped. I felt kind of bad, like the, you know, with everything that happened in this issue. Unfortunately, it's just 
things have changed for both of them. I mean, he will get a little childish about it for the next issue or two after this. He had been spending so much time with Galactus and flying through space that I don't know if he could, even if like things worked out, he would be able to spend all of his life living on one planet again. That was, that was always like the appeal of the character. He was kind of like a wanderer, like a free spirit. Yeah, he has no home base. He just kind of flies wherever he wants. Yeah. But I mean, wanting to go back home and see Shalabal has been such a uh, motivation for him for a while in the comics. I guess they kind of had to deal, you know, it did have to be dealt with. And so we find out that while she missed him, apparently at some point when Mephisto kept captured her, he gave him some power, some power. Well, she's back home since the planet had been a little, you know, slightly damaged everywhere she walked. New life, you know, plant life grew. So basically the, the plant, you know, she's the reason the planet's coming back to life. So she is now the empress of the whole planet, which is kind of a busy job, you would think. Yeah, they they, they get into that later. Because like the first thing, he, you know, he sees her and finds out and he's all excited. He's like, let's go talk for a little bit. She's like, I can't. I I have meetings. Yeah. Like, I didn't know you were coming. I, you know, I would have tried to maybe spend some, you know, arrange some time. But, you know, you kind of just showed up. <laughs> I mean, I get it. He's excited. But it's also kind of a bit of like, yeah, you can't always expect everyone else to go according to your plans. Or they don't even know what your plans are. While he does, they do the big cosmic stuff here. I think the rela- relationships you have to people is the stuff that's the relatable bit. You know, yeah, we've all yeah. done that at some point. We're like, I'm free, and but the person's like, I'm not. I didn't know you were yeah, free. Happens to me all the time, so I, I totally related. But the funny thing is, of course, continuing on the storyline of what's going on, her meeting are with the scrolls, or one group of scrolls. Because yeah. of course, since they lost their powers, everything went, you know, and Galactus ate their planet, everything with them went to crap. And now there's like five different scrolls who are like, I'm the emperor. No, I'm the emperor. You know, everyone wants to be in charge. And she's like, I'm not getting involved in this crap. If I ally myself with you, that means the other groups will think I'm against them. I'm not, you know, this is Switzerland. We're not involved. But the scrolls, of course, decide to try and attack to force them, not realizing that the Silver Surfer is there. And it does not go very well for them. I mean, they just keep blasting him. He's like, enough. he's like, that's not going to work on me, stupid. <laughs> but like, there are some cool effects here with the blasting. Oh, yeah. Like, again, like I'm talking about John Workman, you know, you have yeah. Vroom and wow, wow, like, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, those are awesome. It, it works. Too. It's cool, too, because it shows like how much power is in these weapons, and yet they do nothing to him. He's like, you you can't take me out. He's like, and I know why you're here. I know what's going on. So we have, you know, you have a problem. Something I read here, apparently the possessive for Zenlaw is Zenlavian. It's fun when you get to these alien plants and you have to start figuring out how, like, they, they would say things now. Yeah. And it is sometimes kind of fun when you're reading these things and they the writer forgets and like puts like human or earth, you know, like touching earth. It's like, wait, no, that's not what they would say. I think maybe it's just a mental thing. Like they just kind of think like, oh, touching earth. And they don't think about, oh, wait, that, that doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, yeah, it's not always easy sometimes to put yourself in the mindset of, not just putting your mindset of fictional characters, but fictional alien characters. But basically, the surfer tells the scrolls, look, here's the deal. Leave Zenla alone because it's under my protection. And if you have a prop, if you try and attack, since you have this wharf decree, I am going to take the other side. Which I will admit, and maybe it does happen later on, but in these 10 issues, I kept waiting for the scrolls to try and attack Zenla and blame the Kree to try and trick him to be on their side. Maybe that happens afterwards. I... Yeah, but I kept waiting for these, and like at no point does it happen, which was a little more, you know, of the obvious what route I expected them to go. But yeah, mm-hmm. they realize, uh, you know, they can't be together, unfortunately. That she has to, you know, right now her responsibility is to be rebuilding the planet and being in charge of the whole damn planet, which is, you know, a big job. And that, 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 you know, soap Marvel, like soap opera element, you know? Yeah. And he realizes that he can't just stay like, you know, I mean, it's kind of doing it without saying it, but I mean, he had rebuilt his home and, you know, even spends a few pages walking around his planet, his home, you know, rebuilds a home and then spends a few pages walking around going, I remember this when I was six and I remember this thing and this and it's a whole, you know, sometimes you can't go home again. It, it's all it's all those stories where the, the character goes out and does something and then comes back and realizes you just can't go home and have things be exactly as they were. Yeah, lots have uh, changed. I really liked uh, the ending of this issue um, where... He changes it from Heroes Born, Norn Rad, to Heroes Born, the Silver Surfer. Because that's part of what's going to happen in the next few issues is that he's going to. He gets a little childish about it. He's like, I am no longer Norn Rad. I'm just a Silver Surfer. I don't care about things. <laughs> he becomes like a like a teenager. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's like, fine. We don't care. I don't care either. Like, no, you do. That's why you're being so childish about it. Yeah. Although I will say the last page especially reminds me how much I love how they do these space pages. I mean, they're not like the Starlin space pages, which have like lots of like weird shapes and planets and comets in them. It's just black with like thousands of stars all over. Yeah. Yeah, like he does it really well, like the space covers. Yeah. So it's really cool looking. I really enjoy those. I mean, I always wonder, how do they do that? Like, is it like a zip tone thing? Do they do, does it just get like a sheet of black paper and just put like white out all over? That's good. I think that's how they do it. I think that's the technique. I think they just put black paper and they put whole, that's how they kind of do it in like regular astronomy. They take this black paper and they let, they kind of expose the light to it. And then that forms white dots. And that's, well, that's how they used to do it before, like photography, before we could do stuff with photography. So. Yeah, so it's possible. That's you know, if I ever had a chance to see him at a convention, that's something I might have to try and ask him. Like, how did you do those space pages? Because otherwise, that's a lot of ink, black, black ink to cover the page with. Yeah. Although I guess it's kind of easy. Just pour it out. Yeah. <laughs> pour it out, and then you just put try to mix it. All right. I just poured ink out and I just dumped some glitter on. That was it. Maybe that's how. 
But yeah, so issue two. So on to three, right. where we have him fighting one of the elders on the cover, the runner. I wasn't familiar with this character, so I wasn't. I thought maybe he was like a obscure hero I hadn't, hadn't heard of, but. Try to remember where he first appeared. Let's see real quick. Uh, first appearance, New Defenders 143. Well, he was kind of obscure because that was towards the end of the Defenders run anyway. Oh, okay. I actually bought the New Defenders collection recently. Oh, that's right. They did collect that. Wow, they're collecting everything. Yeah, you know, you got to... In case, like, it appears in a movie, you know, they got to make sure it's out there. Oh, yeah. And we get a lot of the elders showing up as faces on the first page. Of course, there's the ones we see the most, like the uh, the game, the gardener, the the grandmaster, and the collector, champion, contemplator, possessor, and the runner. I know the runner best from early on reading because he was he's in Quasar number eighteen, which is the issue. I think I mentioned once before is the issue where they sort of bring Barry Allen back. Oh right, I I remember. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he does like a he sets up a race amongst like the fastest people on earth to see who the fastest is, and this guy shows up randomly, blonde with a beard. And I remember, he's yeah, I remember costume. that. I they had like Quicksilver and the Wiz. Did they have the Wizard? I think so. Yeah, if he was alive, uh, Macari. Yeah, Macari. Yeah, Captain the Mon- Monica Captain Marvel. Yeah, okay, that was the one I most remember because like. I think she went by... No, she was still Captain Marvel. Yeah, she still was at that point. Because this would have been like late 80s, very early 90s. So that was a cool issue. But so that one, I remember I remember that one a lot because the whole Barry Allen thing. Yeah, I've forgotten about. Yeah, like they, there was just this one figure and then they don't quite know who he is. Yeah, he just kind of pops in. We got a nice little tragic thing of the collector's wife showing back up from the dead who, it is kind of sad, it says, he lost his wife, Matani, more than three billion years ago. He's missed her all that time. I mean, that's like the most I've ever felt for the Collector. It's kind of sad, like, especially the way, like, especially, like, that close-up, just him holding her body. Because she's been dead and wants to be dead again because she has no interest in living that long. Oh, yeah. She was... Which is the thing about the the elders is that they're like the last of their races. And one of the things that keeps them go, you know, able to keep going for all this time is they get so obsessed with one pursuit, which is why they're called, you know, the runner, the collector. Oh, yeah. You know, they get their obsessions about one thing so they can continue, you know, helps them to keep going. Because, you know, billions of years is a long time to be alive. But the Silver Surfer shows up right after she died because apparently... There, he had a bit of a crossover to do in between issues two and three. Oh. Wait, wait where, where was he? He was in the both the Avengers and the West Coast Avengers Annual. Avengers Annual 16, West Coast Avengers Annual 2. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Referring to the events and the, okay. Yeah, which uh, if my memory, if I'm remembering right from what they talk about in this issues and others, there was a contest with the, you know, the Grandmaster about, you know, against death. And I believe, like, they bring back, like, some old dead characters to fight the Avengers, including, like, Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, I believe they win because Hawkeye cheats. 
And the whole thing starts with the two teams of Avengers having a baseball game against each other. Oh. But he has to go back to Earth because one of the Avengers, the collector, decided to collect, apparently. And I guess I don't I guess it happened in there. I mean, I wonder if anyone noticed. Uh, Asperita, formerly known as Firebird. She was a sort of West Coast Avenger. West Coast Avengers had a lot of people that sort of joined. Like the thing sort of joins for an issue. Asperita sort of joins for a couple issues. There's a couple people that kind of kind of hang out and are sort of members, but not really. It's not like a video about the West Coast Avengers. It's I, I was pretty confused by it, like or at least like the membership roster. Yeah, it was very fluctuating at the time. I know Hawkeye was. I, I think Hawkeye was the leader. Yeah, because they only had five, and they were supposed to have six, so they kept trying to fill in their six member, and it never worked out. Like it was the the main ones, at least from the first. Because I read, I haven't read all of the the run, but I did read like the initial miniseries. It was Hawkeye as leader, like you said, Mockingbird, Tigra, Iron Man. Although at the time it was uh, Rhodes, not Tony, and Wonder Man. Okay, and but, then they kept trying to find a six member. Yeah, like the thing at one point possibly jo- you know was joining, but then left, and then Asperita, and you know they keep the shroud. Like they keep trying to get a six member, and it keeps not working out. <laughs> so the surfer brings her back. They have a little religious conversation. Yeah. And she wants to ask if he's the Messiah. <laughs> he's like, no. He's like, I, I, like I, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of power, but I'm just a guy. Like I don't know. A lot of planets have gods and religions and legends and stuff, but I'm not any of those. Also, that was because Englehart was writing West Coast Avengers, so. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's one of those things where, like, he'll put things back and forth because, like, oh, one of the other possible members of the West Coast Avengers? Mantis. Oh. (laughs) I'll talk about Mantis when she appears. Yeah. But it's also because it's his creation. Yeah. Well, I guess this Espirita, that's also his creation? I'm fairly certain, yes. Since she really just appeared in West Coast Avengers and he was the writer, I'm assuming he was, that was his creation. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Although, speaking of Mantis, we do get a little hint of her in this issue when, after the surfer leaves the Collector, as the Collector said, look, I only helped the Grandmaster out in this thing because I owed him because he brought me back to life, but... Really no cha- I know champions one of the elders, but we don't talk. And then as soon as the surfer leaves, he calls champion. Huh. <laughs> and you see a thought balloon coming from a plant nearby. It says, the champion and the collector are linked. Oh, right. Honestly, I thought it was like like a... Not, I didn't know it was a word balloon. I thought it was like a caption. Yeah, I I didn't realize at first until I went back. Once I went through, I'm like, oh, that's it. That's a little hint about the Mantis thing coming up. We get some Kree scroll fights. Yeah, the 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 Kree one the Kree one of the Kree soldiers is wearing the old uh, Captain Marvel suit. Yep, because he's the captain. Oh, oh, so that's just what they. Oh, okay, so that's just what they wear. Yeah, yeah. His original costume was just his Kree military uniform. Oh, okay, and he doesn't have the helmet, okay. Yeah, it's kind of like Star Trek where, like, different colors denote, like, different levels. And for the Kree, like, different colors, you know, denote, like, different levels of rank. Oh, okay. 
I only know Green is Captain because, well, Captain Marvel. But this is where the Skrulls' plans start to fail a bit because they, they've been defeated, so they all commit suicide because they don't want the Kree to learn that they've lost their shape-shifting abilities. That's the last bit of information that, when we get to them, the Supreme Intelligence needed to figure out that's what's going on with the Skrulls. Oh, yeah, yeah, when, when we get... Okay. Makes a lot of sense now. The runner shows up then to, to take care of the surfer because they don't want him interfering in their plans, which we'll find out why they're worried about, you know, they're a bit concerned about him since it will involve Galactus. And the runner basically kicks his ass. It's really weird looking at this guy running in space. I mean, the surfboard makes sense, at least. Like, if people are flying, that's one thing. If they're with a surfboard, at least you could see a surfboard kind of going through. But, like, he's just running. Yeah, you, I, space is like a vacuum, too. I don't know what he's exactly propelling himself against. Like, Yeah, it's weird, but I guess it's an elder thing. We I, I do like how like Rogers draws him running like with the like it looks like kind of blobbish, but he's like moving his legs so fast looks kind of blobbish. I like that. Yeah, and the fire trail. Yeah. It's kind of like an old cartoon where they're running so fast that you just see like the fire from them running. Like a yeah. funny thing or something. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's one thing I want to say, the Marshall Rogers art here. Unlike, let's say, his Batman stuff, there's a little bit of a cartooniness to it. It kind of reminds me a bit of, like, the way Mobius would draw the surfer at times. Oh, yeah. Like, not exactly, but I can see the influence. I can see how, like, that was possibly an influence on him. That story came out, like, in 1985 or? Uh, somewhere in the early 80s. I don't know the exact year, but somewhere in the early 80s, there was that, yeah, that two-issue Silver Surfer I think it was two issues, like miniseries by like Stanley and Mobius. Yeah, I never yeah. read that. I might have to. I, I've been meaning to read that for a while. I've been gradually, slow, very, very slowly getting like Mobius stuff. So, yeah, I've liked the stuff of his. I've seen like the images, but I just never really read anything. As far as I know, I don't think I've read any story he's done that I can recall. It, it's just like it's hard to get a lot of his work like translated in in the U.S. It's really expensive. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to find this one story, The Long Tomorrow, which was written by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the movie Alien. Oh, okay. And that was like a hundred dollars the last I checked. So it's it's very hard to get his work work in the United States. I think that's the problem. So then I probably should read that one because I'm sure that one I can have access to, the Silver Surfer story. It's probably the one thing we can easily read. Oh yeah. But yeah, he basically plows beats the surfer up plows him into a and just throws him into a planet and thinks that was fun and the surfer is in this huge crater i do like a part of the fight like the runner tries to steal the surfboard and then the surfer's like the board come back like yeah logic is like did the runner not know like that he could do that or oh he did say it was impressive <laughs> but I don't think the runner cares because I think he feels he's so overpowers a surfer, it doesn't matter. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see... You are about to see... Because you demanded it. 
It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, and then, yeah, we get Mantis. Yeah, Mantis shows up at the end. Yeah, and, you know, Englehart you know, loves Mantis, you know, lo- loves, you know, has, has a great affinity for that character. Mm-hmm. I mean, from what I understand, I haven't read the issue, but I even brought her in calling her Willow in an issue of uh, JLA. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he, he, like, created multiple incarnations of her. I don't know if you watch uh, the YouTube channel uh, Comic Tropes. He, he had like yes. a whole video. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, he had a whole video about Angle Hardness work. So okay, I have to look for that one. I've been seeing that. Uh, I'll send you the link once we're finished with this. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely watch that. I like Comic Tropes. It's one of the ones I, it's one of the ones I like. Yeah, I, I watch him pretty regularly. But all right, so since we got Mantis, let's go on to issue four. Where the Silver Surfer is, well, basically dying, and Mantis does some kind of plant thing to bring him back. Is that like some part of her powers? And the like, I know like she she's like a martial artist, and she like has telepathic powers, but the, I didn't know healing was like one of her powers. I don't think before, but this is after that was when she was fully human. She's obviously not fully human anymore because, you know, he even mentions here, it's like, how are you breathing? Wait, where is it? The mantis I knew couldn't survive here herself. The atmosphere is full of methane and the temperature is hundreds of degrees. But yeah, so she's changed since the last time she showed up in Avengers. She's not fully human anymore. Hence the green skin, which she did not have originally. Yeah, yeah, she she was just colored like normally, so... Yeah, depending on how much they remembered, she was supposed to be not white. Yeah. And also be fair, depending on how good the coloring would be. Yeah. It's not like one coloring where she was had like reddish skin. I don't know what's happening there. Yeah, the co- I mean, the coloring gets better. You know, through the years, the coloring in comics gets better. But a lot of times it's... I mean, look at like some of the early, like, uh, early Marvel stuff, like the early 60s. Like any black characters are like colored almost like a gray color. Yeah, that, that always bothers me. Like they're like a Black Panther, like his first appearance, his skin is like gray. I don't know, like like almost charcoal. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like the the scaled down version of the original Hulk. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Or early, like a lot of Shang Chi early stories from like the seventies where he's like very yellow. He's yellow. He's like golden. Yeah. But part of that is, be- or early New Mutants, where, like, Danny Moonstar is very red. Yeah. But that, I believe, now, if I'm wrong, understand, that's fine. Someone tell me why, I'm, you know, tell me, you know, tell me if they were able to. But from what I understand, the coloring wasn't that great. So it was not as easy to, you know, they had issues of, you know, the coloring would come out that way because they didn't have as many coloring techniques as they do now. Yeah, like they, they, it still wasn't digital, so yeah, probably digital probably helped a lot with with this kind of stuff. 
But yeah, so we get Mantis's origin and a whole story of what happened to her since she left the Avengers. Which, in reading the origin, I have to say, it's kind of sh of the priests. I mean, it's one thing if they had just sent her out into the world with no memory. But it's like, okay, we're going to make you a sex worker, and it's not your choice. Uh, Do I mean like Because that's kind of what she was. Yeah. That's... I mean, they don't come outright and say it, because I don't think they could, but... You read between the lines, you can see what they're saying here. And it's like, okay, it's one thing if someone chooses to do that, but... Yeah, so... That wasn't really her choice. At least Moondragon had it better, since, you know, they compare... You know, she talks about Moondragon here, too. Moondragon at least knew who she was. Yeah. The whole time. So those priests are a little manipulative. Like, they may be pacifists, but... But they're very manipulative. But yeah, after leaving the Avengers in the whole Celestial Madonna story, too long to get into now. <laughs> she apparently, after uh, they were done mating, uh, she left or whatever. He went off on his own and she went with the baby. And <laughs> I like that she was just raising him on Earth. And you can see Mantis in there with like this, just sitting, reading the paper, green skinned woman. <laughs> <laughs> the little like head, head, you know, little like neckerchief writ on her head. Oh, <laughs> Little the little antenna. Yeah. Uh, uh, just casually sitting there. It makes you wonder, like, did the neighbors notice? We're having a barbecue this week. What about the green skinned lady on the block? Anyone invite her? <laughs> and that's part of, I guess, now the change to her is that after meeting with the Kotai, she is now, I guess, part plant as well. And can even move from world to world, almost like a Swamp Thing type thing. Yeah, like the green, like she's connected to that. And I think that's how she healed him. Using whatever healing, since, I mean, to be fair, a lot of the, you know, a lot of pharmaceutical stuff does initially comes from plants. Yeah, so. You know, penicillin was from mold, so I mean, I guess, you know, since her powers are always a little vague anyway... Yeah, if we can accept Swamp Thing healing Superman, we can accept Mantis healing the Surfer. And also, he finds out that Mantis was the one, because we find out here that the Surfer apparently likes to trip in this issue. He, he talked about this planet. Let's see. Uh, I rode the Surfer of Solar Winds away from Shala's world, but stopped in Panamount for one final view. The alignment of the stars, the grandeur of the constellations from that point. The lush and fragrant foliage of which a weary traveler can lay even a near invulnerable form. I always breathe the vapors there. But when <laughs> I did so this time, I suddenly saw the, the threat the Grandmaster posed to the Avengers. I couldn't explain it. I only knew it was true. Like, so you like to go get high. <laughs> I mean, it worked this time. I mean, he got like the... <laughs> but it's like the surfer likes like these plants give you hallucinations. This is fun. I like this place. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, sometimes they can fit in some stuff, weird, you know, some little subversive stuff in here. They just got to do it in between the lines. Yeah, like I, I think Inglehart also did that uh, one issue of Doctor Strange where he had to, I forgot what like the context was, but he had to fake a letter like saying like the issue was fine. Like he sent it to Stanley. I forgot, oh. I forgot what exactly the issue had in it. Maybe they were complaining about the whole series. 
Oh, um, I remember seeing a video about that too. Yeah, they sent like a fa- they sent like a letter claiming to be like a. I think it's the season egg story where like the universe is like is restarted. Oh yeah, and he meets God, or he like, or like becomes it because he restarts the universe, or something like that. And like they were worried they were gonna have like a lot of letters from people complaining, and it's like uh, he faked writing like as like a like some kind of like pastor or something saying, "Oh, this was great, I loved it." Yeah, yeah. So I think this is like you know he, like Engelhart at least he seems like familiar with this kind of stuff, like like this kind of. Well, yeah, there's a couple people like that who like to, the, you know, you know, like if you you know, you can find so a lot of subversive and weird stuff in like uh, Gerber, Engelhart, Starlin. I mean, come on, look at the whole Universal Church of Truth, and don't tell me that's not a thing against like, you know, and especially if you ever read any of his Dreadstruck stuff later on, it's like, oh yeah, Engel Starlin definitely has an issue with organized religion. Oh yeah, I've actually never read Dreadstar. I should probably do that. Yeah, basically think of the Universal Church of Truth and, like, somebody fighting against it, more or less. Okay. But not, you know, Warlock, just, like, you know, a group of people. I know Dreadlock, Dreadstar, Dread he is, a, like, a pirate? He's, like, a space pirate? Sort of, yeah. I've only read some of the earlier stuff. But he ends up becoming, like, a pirate, but he's supposed to be, like, the last survivor of a whole universe. Like, the Milky Way galaxy is destroyed. He's the last one left. Yeah, I should I should probably pick that up. I have like on my um nightstand right now I have uh the work I have like a book about the work of Jim Starlin. Oh, is that called Black Book? Uh no, it's Jim's The Art of Jim Starlin, A Life in Words. It's from Aftershock. Oh, okay. That might not be the one I have. I've I have one that he put out with a Kickstarter a couple years ago along with a, a Dreadstar Omnibus Volume One. But yeah, I know Jim Starlin had plans. I did things like that too. Like he would put, reportedly, he would like send stuff in late so they didn't have time to edit it too much. Oh, okay. So his stuff, you know, like the stuff that they wouldn't be happy about could still get published because it's like, it's due at twelve o'clock today, and he would send it to them at twelve o one. Like crap. Okay, yeah. just put it out. <laughs> and then yeah. later on, they're like, "What the hell is this?" So back to the flowers. Mantis is the one that put the hallucin, you know, sent that hallucination to him. Because she wanted to, she knew about the plan against the Avengers and the, you know, the whole thing involving the, uh, the elders, and she knew they were planning something. And she was like, she basically manipulated him a bit, but she also was like, I didn't know which way you would go, so I wanted to see what you would do. So she did manipulate him again. He's getting manipulated a lot here. Yeah, I think they're trying to build up. They end up on the planet finding out, you know, tracking the elders. They end up watching, you know. Meeting the seeing the group of elders, including a couple we've never seen before, like the traitor and the obliterator. Oh, and they're on uh, ego. Yes, because ego apparently considers himself one of the elders because he is the he's the only you know only one of his kind. Yeah, he's like you sort of recognize it like that. Ego has like those scales on on him, so just by the landscape. But that's right. They find out that the the elders' plan wasn't just to make it so they can't die, which is what happened with the Grandmaster and that whole Avengers thing. He made a you know, deal with death. Their next part of their plan is to kill Galactus. And, you know, Galactus was, like, is, like, very old. Yep, since Galactus was actually existed in the universe before this one. 
No, sorry. I'm I'm reading a physical one of the physical. I was telling you about how I obtained these comics. I'm yes. reading the physical one of the physical ones, and there is an ad here for Mile High Comics. So yep, told you that's where I saw them originally. It took me years before I knew they actually had a physical location. And that's that's very ironic. <laughs> Ego and the the elders attack, but the surfer and Mantis are able to get away just in time. And then before we move on, there was also um, the Celestials, like, uh, or at least one of the Celestials has appeared on the Cree, ca- uh, the Cree Capital. Oh, yeah, that's right. And we'll find out later what his part of this is. All right, and we're on to issue five with the Obliterator shooting Mantis on the cover. And the Obliterator is really a weird design. It's a weird design. I was thinking about earlier what you said about, um, you know, Marshall Rogers having a little bit more of a cartoony. Like this, this is definitely like a, a cartoony look, especially like uh, the chin. Oh, or the eyes where there's no pupils. Oh yeah, the eyes too. I mean, the surfer doesn't have them either, but it kind of makes more sense with the way he looks. The obliterator looks mostly human. Yeah, he is kind of comical. Although, I don't think I've ever seen him again, so I have no idea how many other times he appears. Yeah, it looks kind of like a toy design. I feel like maybe maybe that was, that was the intention. I, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe, considering he has, like, those bla- arm blasters that connect to the back like a, you know, a toy would have, and, like, almost like a Transformer thing, like little guns showing up in the shoulder pads. But, yeah, he's the next elder to try and defeat the Surfer, because... His obsession is killing things. Which, you know, obliterator probably makes sense. Now, I don't know if this was intentional or something I'm thinking of now, but he does look kind of like a off-model, like a comical version of, like, a, the Punisher. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does, especially, like, the hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if maybe that was, a, you know, it was kind of like a joke on the Punisher. Maybe, like, especially since, like, you know, the Punisher was originally, like, a Herald of, Galact- Herald of Galactus. Well, that would be for years later, but yeah. No, no, I'm talking about, like, the original, original Punisher. The robot thing. The robot, yeah. You're right, I forgot about that. I was thinking more Cosmic Ghost Rider. Oh. The Obliterator has attacked the Surfer and Mantis, and they drive him to another world, and... In between the fight, we get scenes of the Celestial on top of the Scroll planet. Jemiah the Analyzer. Yeah. And I love how the Scroll Emperor deals with this. He's like, uh, no, I have to deal with this. I'm going to go talk to him. <laughs> he, he, like, so aggrandizes his own, like, race. Like, he talks about, you know, your analysis cannot fail to count us as your proudest achievement. Nice Scroll voice. I like that. I don't know where it came from. It's just my generic monster voice. Maybe I don't know. And I'm not sure if it's been how many times it was said before. Maybe this is where it comes from. But yeah, we find out that the scroll here, at least it's if it wasn't revealed before, that the scrolls are basically deviants. Yeah, that that surprised me. Like I, I hadn't heard. I suppose it makes a little bit of sense when they say shape shifting. Yeah, because that's what the. De- I mean, that was the whole thing about the deviants is that they were unpredictable like each two any two deviants would be de- you know we're all deviants were different from each other in different ways yeah like 
what's interesting here is also like they reference the diorates from uh, Rom Space Night. Yep. That they were one race of scrolls, one race of the scrolls that left. Come to think of it, yeah, they didn't mention that in the ROM, like in the com like in the ROM comics. They do I think they do mention that. Like they were an offshoot. And it makes sense. They shorter I mean they are kind of shapeshifters. Yeah. Although although like if I remember correctly, like the dire rates, like their shapeshifting is more temporary. If I remember right, it's that like when they attack somebody and kill them, they take their shape. Oh yeah, that okay, yeah, that's might, might be what I'm thinking about. So and they also use magic, so Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing. So I, I mean I guess it makes sense. I mean, if the eternal I mean if the celestials did that on Earth, who's to say they didn't do it on other planets? You know, they're not yeah. they don't exist just to experiment on Earth. So yeah, they did the same thing. They left, you know, normals, the uh, eternals and deviants, and just the deviants here killed all the others and I guess took the whole planet over. And eventually I guess with all their deviant structure, eventually, I guess with, with no limit of population, it was you know at least the deviants here are so limited number. Yeah. You know, on Earth, that maybe they weren't there wasn't enough diversity in the genetics to get to this point, but eventually the scrolls with their taking over the whole planet were eventually get to the point where they, in a way, I mean, they all came out the same with the whole green look and the chin, but I mean they all have shapes. Um, in in you know in the there was like the thing in the deviants on earth where they would, they sort of cold or like they sort of annihilated any like genetic, any, it's not made clear like who they would, they would oh, eliminate. That's right. Gore would have, yeah. Lord Gore with like some, like some deviants he would kill at birth because they were too, you know, there was something wrong with them. Yeah. Like, so they would, they didn't do that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking like maybe the scrolls did that. Like they just killed off anyone who looked different, and then that led to mostly the Usain uniform look for all of them. Yeah, I mean we're not sure specifically. They don't get into that, but it's interesting. It's a fun. It's a fun question to play with. I, I like how they call like the you know like the Eternals, Deviants, and there's like regular humans, and they're called Latents here. Yeah, because they were. Potential for things, which is, you know, how they explain why we have superhumans and stuff. You know, how people can get bit by radioactive spiders and not just die of radiation poisoning. Yeah. But my favorite bit of this issue is the next page (laughs) of just the 12 panels of him talking. (laughs) As he's, like, trying to say, like, how good they are. He's like, of course, Earth, by contrast, is me, but negligible tends to starfaring. Looking at the Celestials, like, nothing. Celestials giving him nothing. He's like... Uh, it is true the Kree of Cardinal Empire oppose us. The Earthers have beaten us once or twice. <laughs> and a mad skull. Like, he's having this whole conversation with the Celestial ones, just with himself. And he's just getting nothing to the point that it's like, Damn it, why are you here? Fine, attack! And then it does nothing, like... It does nothing, and it's hard to tell from the art whether or not they destroyed part of the city. I and think that's course, the implication. I, looks, yeah. Or maybe maybe he was in the mountains, that's why like he's kind of rising above it. I don't know. But I mean, he's so big, it just looks like these little toys being thrown at him. <laughs> and I, yeah. it does just as well. It's like, imagine if, like, you know, ten little kids had a bunch of Nerf guns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shooting at a grown-up, it's like, 
Yeah, that's fine. It's nerf. I think, like, I remember, like, there was another reference to the original Eternals around. There's, like, that one issue where the Russians tried to attack the Eternals, like the Soviets. I'm trying to remember that. I don't recall that off the top of my head. Yeah, I think it's the one where Druig first appeared as the issue. I need to go back and reread Eternals. Yeah, so do I. I haven't read in a while, but I do remember that issue. Oh, and then this is the issue where we have the, where Stan Lee comes in. Oh, you're right. Because there is a there the Cree want to have send a spy to confirm what the Supreme or as a the Supreme Intelligence has guessed that the scrolls have lost their abilities to change shape. And so they're sending this one spy to spy on them. And Inglehart does this cool thing where basically he's taking all the oh, most of the dialogue from like Marvel's first appearance. And his him being sent on the mission, and he's using the exact same thing. Oh, so he's just using the same dialogue. Yeah, because here, um, so you're looking at the issue now, right? Issue twelve. Yeah, issue yeah. In my hand right now. I have up here on my screen a copy of Marvel Superheroes number twelve. Oh, into, your ba- into your battle suit, Captain. Prepare for landing. Medic Uno will administer a breathing potion to you. Only to Captain Marvel, sir. What about the rest of the landing party? There will be no landing party. That's right. change the names, <laughs> and that's exactly what they say here. And that's also what he we'll, – we'll get to that in the, ne- the next part time they get to that. But, yeah, he's talking about, up until the point where he meets the scroll, it's Marvel's dialogue. <laughs> I mean, with the exception here where it says, you know, it takes but one creed to spy upon the accursed skulls and confirm the Supremers of deduction they lost their power. Now, obviously, that wasn't the original one, but uh, – Okay. Because I'm reading that going, that looks familiar. Was it Stan Lee who wrote that, or Roy Thomas? Or, yeah, yeah, sorry, it's Stan Lee. Yep, it's Stan, I'm looking at it right now, Stan Lee and Gene Colan. Yeah, we, yeah, Gene Colan, yeah, Drew, Drew. I forgot Stan Lee wrote that issue. I thought, for some reason, I thought it was Roy Thomas. No, no, he, Roy was just getting the stuff Stan didn't want to do anymore. But, <laughs> that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I'm entertained by that. I like that a lot. Meanwhile, the surfer and uh, Mantis have a little bit of conversation as she kissed him in the issue before. And he's still doing that whole, but I don't care anymore thing. I'm not Norton Rad anymore. I'm just a sober surfer. I don't care about things. No, I don't. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. (laughs) He he does what he does best. He just kind of monologue, internal monologues, like... Norn Rad does not exist. Whatever the mind of the man within may feel, the form without is silver, not flesh. I am the silver surfer, no matter what I long for. No matter who I am with, the surf, silver surfer is always alone. She's like, sure. <laughs> I mean, she has his number. It's great. Yeah. like <laughs> It does just get annoying sometimes reading her dialogue with all this one and that one and her, you know, calling herself, you know, referencing herself as her instead of me. Uh, is, that's kind of confusing. She, it's like she's kind of mantis, but kind of not. It's it's like a verm, it's like a form of Bizarro speak. Oh, okay. You know, when you're reading Bizarro, trying to figure out how that works. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I get it. So the way she speaks is kind of like a form of Bizarro. The best way I can do it. It's just weird. She always did that in the Avengers issues too. She uh. always referred to herself as this one. 
Okay, so like in the third person. Yeah. But before they can get anywhere in their emotional dialogue, the obliterator is back. Another great uh, John Workman uh, letters. Sklock. Yeah. As the pla- as she makes one of the giant plants around them, just smack him right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> she literally seems like, you know, Swamp Thing, like just full on Swamp Thing. Yeah. Yeah, she's very Swamp Thing here. Yeah, she avoids his heat-speaking missile darts because, well, she bakes herself. Basically, we have a temperature of a plant, so there's no heat to sense. sense. And yeah, so we go back to the Cree person. So let me see the... Yeah, so the Cree that's wearing, you know, Marvel, the Captain Marvel costume. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, and I'm looking again, if you're looking at the issue of that page, I'm looking at the Marvel superheroes issue with Marvel. I may be alone against the entire might of an armed planet, but still I am a captain in intergalactic spa- space fleet. And still I am a Kree. <laughs> so basically, up until he meets the, uh, the scroll guy, that's all. That's mostly Marvel's dialogue. Oh, so even like the aura of negativism cloaks my, like all, all of that? Uh... That part, no. He, he Marvel says my air jet, my air jet belt alone makes me a match for any dozen Earthlings. But the next one is, and since the pull of gravity is far stronger than the Kree galaxy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the oh, yeah, part, they probably had to change it because it's a different planet. So yeah, like they change here. It's you know, it's you know stronger than the Kree galaxy. You know, there they say Earth, but. And they add that aura of negativism instead of the air jet belt. But for the most. You know, 90% of his dialogue is Marvel's. Yeah, it's, it's clever. But then he... I, I like this part, actually, where he meets the scroll, hitchhikes a ride with a, from another scroll driving by. And you kind of forget. I mean, we get so used to, like, seeing the scrolls. Like, you see them as, like, just... You know, you see the people attacking. So you see the armies. Yeah. And you forget. It's like, yeah, but they also have, like, just, you know... They don't have just army. I mean, they probably have a massive... You know, massive part of the population's army. But they also have people who just work jobs. Just like, yeah, it's just, yeah, cabbies and all those. Yeah, because the guy picks him up and, you know, the Cree, the Cree spy who's disguised as a scroll is like, look, I'm just looking for a place to get some food and get to sleep. It's like, oh, you're in luck then. My brother runs a, you know, Nagdell house with the best homebrewed wallow you've ever tasted. It's like, oh, yeah, you yeah, they have lives, too. Yeah, that, that, that's a nice little detail. Yeah, I like that. But unfortunately, he's caught pretty damn quickly. Yeah, <laughs> you know they've you know there's something there's some kind of satellite that just determines there's a non-scroll life form you know life form on the planet and they catch him. Doesn't go as well for him as it did for Marvel, because he's about to get his butt tortured. But back to the surfer versus the obliterator, because he thinks he killed Mantis and the surfer is now even though he doesn't care he's very pissed. And we get another one of those cool word balloons as he. Hits the surfboard, hits the obliterator right in the chest. Yep. <laughs> I like that the letters are all jumbled in together almost. Tonk. And then, of course, the surfer gets blasted with a giant foom. Boom. I can't even read the last one. It's. It, 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 it's kind of cool. Yeah, they're blasting each other, and the words are like caught in the explosion. Yeah. <laughs> I was like. You know, I I always appreciate that, you know, John Workman's that those word balloons are always great to see. 
Yeah, no, those are awesome. I mean, even when they're the next page on the top panel, they're fighting and you can still see like, you know, the big sort of I think it's like a womb. Womb, yeah. But, you know, it's hard to tell because, the you know, the middle letters are kind of covered up by the explosion part. It's part of it. And again, like final like womp. And then the surfer realizes, well, wait, the obliterator actually doesn't seem to be using powers. He's using all these weapons. So, again, a simple solution, like in the first issue, he just changes his weapon to now something that just shoots light. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I've also a... changed your transportation devices. You can't leave here. There's no life here. There's no people here. No one for you to kill. You got nothing to do now. Yeah, and he, he has like an existential crisis because he can't die. <laughs> and he has, no, he has nothing to kill. It's, um, you watched The Good Place? Um, a little bit of it. Oh, uh, did you get to the part where Michael has his existential crisis like this quickly? <laughs> Oh, I don't. I don't think so. It's like season two when they, you know, explain death to him, and he realizes that there's a possibility that he could be killed. Oh, and all he's like, "You mean there'd be no me?" And he just like lets out the shriek and like collapses. <laughs> and that's oh. pretty much what happens here. Oh, <laughs> I have nothing left. I want to die. But I can't die. And of course, we find out Mantis is alive. Yeah, another Swamp Thing moment where she just transferred it to the plant life. And grew a new body. Yeah. Although the hair is not growing back yet. Yeah, that's that's an interesting touch. Like, her hair is a lot shorter. And so they're going to make the... So since the Obliterator is now annoyed that now he can't die, he blames the Grandmaster. So they're going to make him tell them everything. Yeah, that's... uh, I suppose that's like... For uh, the next issue. Yep, that's going to come next time. It's now time to cover the feedback, and this time the feedback is for episode 172, Make Ours Marvel number 174, Because Ants, with Tim Price. And for legal reasons, I have to say that that episode did not happen and does not exist. It was never done, nor was anything done to prepare for it, including kidnapping and blocking the Tomb of Ideas, other podcast hosts. Got it? Never happened. Didn't happen. Episode don't exist. But if it did exist, it would have got likes and shares on Facebook from A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast, Magazines and Monsters, Tim Price, Jeff Dodd, Ruth Sutherland, Gene Hendricks, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, it would have got likes and retweets from Dear Watchers, an Omniversal Comic Book podcast, Alan Sharp, Ed Moore, Comics Over Time podcast, Kaiser the Great, Viet Nguyen, David Finn, Trapped in a World, Ghost Spider Groupies, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Jason Snick Venable, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Chris Lydon, Into the Night, or World on Fire, JSA slash All-Star Squadron slash Earth 2, Truth, Justice, and Hope, Steve Chung, Cole Mack, the Comics God and Monster, Justin Steiner, and Tomb of Ideas. And on Tumblr, it would have been liked by EVP Blog. If you want to hear more from me, you can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. On that show, which you can find on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, links in the show notes, my co-host and I, every episode, talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC Comics sci-fi series Legion and its subsequent spin-offs, Rebels 93 and just Rebels. Also, you can find me recently guest starring on an episode of Magazines and Monsters with Billy under the Magazines and Monsters feed, links in the show notes. 
This episode, we talked about Werewolf by Night, issue 12, and Giant Size Creatures number one, guest starring Tigra. So go check that out. All right, you have things you want to say to me. You have comments about this episode or other things. Well, here's how you do it. Send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Go like, share, or make comments on the episodes on Facebook. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and our page will pop up. We have a Tumblr page, resurrectionspodcast.tumblr.com. And of course, there's always Twitter at Adam Thanos Pod. This show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. And you are about to hear a promo for one of the other Collective shows right now. Hello, I'm Alan. I'm Rebecca. And if you're listening to this, then we recommend that you check out our podcast, the DCAU Podcast, where we watch the original DC animated movies, starting from Batman Mask of Phantasm and continuing on to Justice League, Dark, Apocalypse War, and beyond. And we will cover such heroes as Batman, Superman, The Batman, Wonder Woman Victorian Steampunk Batman The Flash Batman Beyond Green Lantern Old Man Batman Martian Manhunter And plenty more versions of Batman Lots and lots and lots of Batman You can find the DCAU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else that you can get podcasts by looking up the DCAU podcast and subscribe today. And so at the beginning of the episode, people, I had said we're going to do issues one through ten. Let's see how this goes. Not very well, because doing ten issues in one episode was too much of a rush. So we are going to cut the, we're going to cut this now and we'll be back next time with six through ten. So that way we can give this story a little bit of time it needs. But before we finish off, so one thing I was thinking about is I want to make sure I crouch this in a way I'm not just saying this, you know, old, good, new, bad. But sometimes, you you know, sometimes it's nice to have a variety. Like, it's I don't like it when every storyline is just like, let's say, let's always do six issues and, you know, part one, two, three, four, five, six and over. You know, some stories work that way. Some stories don't have to. And I do like that this is part five now of a 10-part story, but for the most part, each issue is kind of like its own self-contained story. Yeah. You kind of follow what's happening from issue to issue. There are subplots and things, you know, there's obviously things continuing on, but still, issue one is, it's you know, it does have a you know full story of the surfer escaping and even getting Galactus to part him. Issue two is a whole thing with Shalabal, et cetera, et cetera, like, it's a, it's a, like a lot of like, you know, there are some other ones like that, like Dark Phoenix. You know, it's not yeah. just part one of seven. You know, it's not just seven stories about the Dark Phoenix. It's, you know, it goes in. It's a different way of writing. And I, I, I wish they would do both. You know, they would accept the fact that maybe they could do both. Yeah, like do serialized stories, but try to space like not not make them like not end each issue on like a. Well, well, like, make sure, like, the story flows well. 
Yeah, like not some stories can do like just four parts, six parts, wherever, where it literally is just that story and that's it. And you're just going from, you know, you know, you're going from one part to the next the way they do those. But sometimes you like sometimes it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes you can just do several issues and have a story in them. But you don't have to have. I don't know. what Maybe I don't know what I'm saying, but. Variety. Yeah. It doesn't be all or nothing. Yeah. Um, just so far, I really like, um, I love, uh, Marshall Rogers um, artwork. It's, it's very, very good in this particular series. Yeah. I, I even, I, I said, I, I don't know if I recorded this. I said I wasn't probably said like, I wasn't fond of when he and, uh, Engelhardt did Mr. Miracle, but I enjoyed the art in the Mr. Miracle issue. It's so yeah, I really, I really like the art. Um, sometimes it's a little weird. Like, um, you know, I feel like the Cree Supreme Intelligence, like the way it looks, is a little bit too smooth. Like, I never like when it when the Cree Supreme Intelligence floats. It never looks right. Otherwise, yeah, I really enjoyed the writing. I really enjoyed the art. Um, it's yeah, it's just a very good story. Uh, when I when I bought these, I even told. Um, the clerk there that I was uh, going to read these for a podcast, and he said like this was kind of like a defining run for the character, which I hadn't known that. But the some like twenty or like fifty issues of this, yeah, because they're going to be on for like about thirty something issues, I think. Yeah, so apparently this is like a, another one of like the defining runs on the character. Well, yeah, this this series has a couple of really impressive runs. I mean, you have the Englehart Marshall Rogers stuff, and then you go into Starlin. Yeah. And then it's uh, Ron Lim's run. Yeah, Ron Lim and Ron oh, Mars. Ron Mars, that's it. I'm talking about writing. Yeah, Ron Mars and Ron Lim, and I know Ron Lim was drawing at least some of the uh, Starlin issues, because I know Starlin was just writing it, not drawing it. Recently, you also had... Um, I bought... that. It's pertinent. I bought... Um, the omnibus for uh, Dan Slott and Mike Allred's run on the Silver Surfer. I need to read that. I've read I've read a few issues here and there, but not the whole thing. It's a, I I really like the parts so far that I've read. Like especially, um, like the very beginning of it is very good. Yeah, I I read one or two issues that were part of for the history. I was doing for reference for the history of the Marvel Universe issues episodes. Oh, I, I like that series too. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. And there's like one or two issues they they talk about, like the whole thing about eternity and stuff. Yeah, I think it's like there's one issue where like they kind of are on two ends of eternity, but basically it's like his fingers when they meet, they're able to meet back together. Yeah, yeah, but we'll probably get to that when we get to issue number 10. Yeah. But all right. So anything you want to tell people about for you? Um, You can find me on, as always, you can find me on Twitter at... Ren underscore Chandler four. Um, you can also find me on my medium page. That is medium.com slash um, R N C H A N D R A M O U L I four two. So if that's too long, hopefully you'll, you'll probably put a link to that. So, Oh yeah. Don't worry. There'll be links in the show notes, people, so you don't worry about remembering stuff. Just go down there and scroll and click. All right. All right. Well, so 
this is one time when I can say I know we'll be back with next time, issues six through ten, and we'll definitely get into those are the issues that finally get into definitely why we're doing this because we're gonna get some soul gems, people. Yeah, the soul gems play like a big part. Yep, this is where they are, right? But this is where the last one of the last times they're gonna appear before Thanos gets his mitts on them again. We'll see you guys all then. Bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.